We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. This morning, we bring you a deeply Bay Area story, maybe an only in the Bay Area story. Mandy Eftel is a natural perfumer who's been called the Alice Waters of perfume. That's because she works around the corner from Chez Panisse and more importantly, only works with natural ingredients, frankincense, jasmine, sandalwood, civet. She forged a profound new understanding of this art that runs deep in every culture stretching back before civilization. Over the years, she developed a devoted following. No less a star than Leonard Cohen called her the great alchemist. You can visit her tiny museum in Berkeley and smell raw materials from all over the world. And we'll take a virtual tour right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Happy Friday. I first visited Mandy Aftel's archive of Curious Sense almost by accident. I had some friends coming to town, and one of them had gotten interested in making perfume. And dimly I remembered there was a legendary perfumer in Berkeley. And when I tracked her down, I realized she'd built a museum right down the block from the original Pete's, kind of like around the corner from Cheeseboard and Chez Panisse and lots of other stuff. When we arrived a couple weeks later, it was mind-blowing. We were handed this little tiny nose cone. It's kind of like a magnifying glass for your nostrils and told to wander around. And the whole place, built into just a few hundred square feet, was like a human-sized cabinet of curiosities. Ancient books, a beautiful wall of essential oils, little bits of rare wood. This was the work of an obsessive, a person enchanted by the world of scent, I left with a few vials of perfume, and I have to admit, I think I've been Mandy-pilled. I cannot (laughs) stop talking about this place, this way of smelling the world, and the book that Mandy wrote documenting her archive called The Museum of Scent. Let me just give you one short passage from the introduction. It's not that the world of scent contains these objects so much as they contain the world. This world kindles a sense of shared humanity that transcends the boundaries of culture and travels down through the eras. It shakes us out of our usual way of responding to the modern world as a lifeless place. The universe of aromatics has the power to vivify our very being, to remind us of the difference between what is alive and what merely exists. Welcome to the show, Mandy. 
Hi. Thank so you. So happy to have you here. I have, honestly, I really haven't been able to stop talking about this. When did you decide to create the Archive of Curious Sense? It was about, I'd say, seven years ago, maybe. Or No, wait. No, it must have been 10 years ago because mm-hmm. we've been open seven years, and it took me three years to do it with my husband. So mm-hmm. it must have been 10 years ago. And did you just build it from your own collection of items, or did you go like, well, a museum needs X, Y, and Z? Well, I am obsessive. I mean, you landed really on the right description of me. And I had been collecting for 20 years, mm-hmm. and I had stuff all over the house, stuffed all over the house. Uh, maybe about 60% of what's in the museum I had way before we started. And I used to, when people would visit my studio, which is in my home, I would take the stuff out and show it to them because I was so excited by it. And it seemed to me, I mean, beyond polite, people were not only fascinated by it, but had never run into any of it. And I just wanted to share it. Yeah. I know. I love imagining, you know, you're like, hey, do you know where the scissors are? And kind of rummaging through. Nope. Sorry. Frankincense. Nope. Sorry. Uh, it really does go so deep, and I thought maybe we could start just talking about one one of these items, which is this is you started talking to me about it, and it kind of blew my mind. You know, frankincense. It's we we all have heard it because you know it's in you know the Bible. It's in it's all over ancient texts. Um, what actually like what is it like? What is one of these things? For well, frankincense is you know. Such a beautiful scented material. Uh, it's a resin, and the certain trees have resin. Kind of think of as like the lifeblood of their tree. And um, the frankincense trees. There's really wonderful ones all over Africa and in Oman and v- India. Um, if you scrape the tree with something kind of like a putty knife, let's say on the on the outside of it, that resin comes out. And then it beads up into these kind of almost, they look like semi-precious stones. They're Mm -hmm. these kind of golden Mm -hmm. colored little blobs. And then you just scrape it off the tree and then there it is. And so the word frankincense has the word incense at the back end of it. (laughs) And um, because the very first perfumes were incense, the word perfume is drawn from the word perfumin which means through smoke. So the earliest uses of frankincense were wow. burning it as an as an offering to God. Wow. So it, it also just smells amazing and has many interesting properties for us in terms of healing. So it's just traveled down through time. So if you're holding it in your hand, you're holding this thing that, you know, Cleopatra held. You know, Jesus yeah. held. I mean, there's just something completely mind-blowing about that. I, I, th- this is, you, I mean, this is exactly the kind of moment where I am holding one of these little um, tiny uh, nuggets of beautiful scent. And that is it. It's this connection. You know, it's like when you read a poem from like ninth century China and it seems to express a feeling that you've had. It's yeah. like that same deep connection to humanness in some really, really core way. Yes. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, these materials are the way back and the way around the world. There has never been any culture uh, in, in any time period that didn't take pleasure in mm. scented materials and putting them on their body or cooking with them or 
praying with them or making love with them. They just thread through life and all of us everywhere. Mm. And this museum is really a an effort to bring that sense to everyone. And so let's talk a little bit about some of these materials, or just like what's in there, right? You've got postcards, you've got these antique books, these herbals that are describing these things from 500 years ago that, of course, you can still hand in, hold in your hand today. You've got uh, little bottles, and you've got botanical raw materials, right? Um, what What's the setup here? Like, are people supposed to go around and just smell stuff and read stuff? It's really like that. Yes, I, I like that. Um, that you can engage with your, you know, with all your senses. So um, we we have books from the 1600s. We have over a hundred books that are over a hundred years old. Nothing's a reproduction. Everything is is uh, authentic. And I like people to touch things. So it was kind of later in the uh, in the evolution of the museum when I first had the hundred year old books out. Um, no one touched them. Ever. Mm. Like I'd say, oh, you can touch them, you can read them. But I noticed no one ever touched them. And then I moved a book um, out of the Cabinet of Curiosities where it was behind glass. I put it on the table and I bought some little white gloves to put next to it. And then I noticed the book was from 1595. Um People put the gloves on and they started to look at that book, but then they opened all the books. So everyone who comes to the museum gets a white glove. They kind of, a la Michael Jackson, everyone is walking around the whole time with the white glove on. And people really engage with the the books. They read them. Um, I had had previously of this incredible herbal from 1640 called the Theatrum Botanicum, which is a landmark in in herbalism. I had had a German version of it, and I, we kind of saved our pennies and uh, traded up for one in English so people would have the experience of being able to read a page yeah. about the herbs because it talks about their virtues, which is their lore. And then um, we don't have anyone smelling indoors, which we had be pre-COVID. We don't now. But I have a garden outside with over 100 roses, and all the smelling is outside, mm. and you can smell over 50 things, and then uh, in little bottles that people smell. They're, in, they're put into little exhibits outside. So you smell, you touch, you look at. You uh, it's very engaging. Yeah. One of the dominant components of the museum when you walk in is this incredible wall of vials, right, of, of different essential oils. You call it a perfume organ, right? Yes. Um, is that how every perfumer does it, or is that just you, Mandy? Are you the only one with an organ? No, organ is, it, organ is, is typical in the world of perfume. It's called an organ because you put your bottles, if you have one, which I do, um, you put your bottles on very narrow shelves that are stacked up so you can reach them when you're, quote, composing. The musical metaphor goes on and on. (laughs) And so when you're sitting down below it, you look like you're playing the organ. Ah, that's why. (laughs) It, um... You know, those different oils are made in kind of different ways, right? There's yes. different ways of, of reducing, um, you know, a bunch of flowers or a, a wood resin into the oil that goes into these little bottles. Um, just, just so people have a sense, like, how, how is that done? So everything that I have in the museum and everything I work with is, is, is pure and natural. So everything comes from a botanical source except the historic animal ingredients which come from 
animals, but I don't have any synthetics. So things really come from the named plant. So um, you can have things um, that are essential oils, which most people know of now because, you know, they have them in Whole Foods and stuff, which come from a process of distillation, which is where you take plant material like, say, mint leaves or something, and you put them in a vessel and you run hot water or steam through them. And the oil from that plant is in the leaf. Like if you think of, you know, say a basil leaf when you rip it in half and your hand smells like basil Mm -hmm. or you get your, you know, you, you touch a lemon peel and your fingers smell like lemon, you're in the presence of those oils. So the oils separate uh, away from the plant material and into the water, and then that's how you get essential oils. Mm. And there are other versions. There are things called CO2 extractions that are done with carbon dioxide, which are very, very gentle way of getting plant materials and smells from smells from the plant materials. And then there's a a solvent extraction that's done with very high quality hexane, um, which is um, done mostly with flowers that can't withstand heat. So they're they're done Mm -hmm. with uh, that material and then they're washed in alcohol. So there's no, no hexane remaining. And those are the absolutes. And those are, you know, rose and jasmine and so on. Those are Absolutely. And each of them has slightly slightly different components as a, yes. a, a slightly different um, uh, properties. Yeah. Yes. Um, we're talking with artisan perfumer Mandy Aftel. She created a miniature museum, maybe we'll call it small museum in Berkeley, <laughs> called the Aftel Archive of Curious Sense. She has written a book documenting that archive called the Museum of Scent. That's her most recent book. Here's what we want to ask you. We know you like some creative writing prompts here. Here's one. What's a scent that always brings you to a particular time or place or makes you feel a certain way? Tell us about it and make sure to tell us about the scent. Try and describe it. That's the key here. Um, We'd love to hear you describe your favorite scent in general. The email address is forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the social channels at KQED Forum or you could call us 866-733-6786. We'll be back with more perfume right after the break. Like a child, I run. I don't do it if you don't want to. I wouldn't do a thing like that. Oh, no, no. Don't do it if you don't want to. I wouldn't do a thing like that. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. 
I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with artisan perfumer Mandy Aftel. She created a small museum in Berkeley, which you can visit, called the Aftel Archive of Curious Sense. And she's got a book documenting that place called the Museum of Scent. Love to hear from you. What's a scent that always brings you to a particular place or time? You can write about it for us. Email forum at kqed.org. Um, Mandy, before the break, we heard a little snippet of Donovan, which was a shout out to your past. I know. I couldn't. Bl- I thought like, oh, my God, this is am I supposed to go into my history with Donovan, no, I, which I could do. Yes. You did live with his family in Joshua Tree for a while, right? As I, I lived it? with them for for uh, many months in Joshua Tree and in Los Angeles when I was writing my first book, which was a biography of Brian Jones, the founder of the Rolling Stones and... It was all oral history that was, you know, in the 70s because I'm ancient. And um, and I've remained friends with them uh, for the amazing. last 50 years, dare I say. And uh, they, but in lo- your they real, love scent. Yeah. Your other life, aside from your creative and writing life, you were you were a psychotherapist, right? I was. For 30 years, I was a psychotherapist for artists and writers. Wow. That is so um, – no wonder this is so fun for me. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we, as we start our smelling lesson here, um, I want you to maybe talk about the rose, right? I mean, the rose is uh, one of the defining smells uh, through time. Break it down for me. Like when we smell a rose, what are we actually smelling? Well, roses, um, roses are kind of a cocktail of so many aroma molecules, and one rose will not smell like another rose. So there are certain, say, aroma molecules that are consistent rosy ones that are in all roses, and then the roses branch off in their own personal directions. So you can have roses that smell very fruity, like, say, apricots, or apples, or peaches, as well as that soft, gorgeous rose smell. Or there's some that are more resiny that have a kind of a frankincense or a myrrh note to them. There are roses that are spicy that have the aroma of clove or cinnamon attached to them. And there are roses that are animalic that have a kind of musky undertone. Roses are infinitely interesting, and people have used rose in perfume and also in food Probably since the beginning of time, rose has always been completely beguiling. Uh, and it's really just different combinations of these kind of five, I, we call them like single uh, molecules, I think, right? But they're really kind of families, no? The, the, uh, you mean the isolates? The, yeah, the isolates. The isolates. Yeah. So you, the, um, one other thing that's natural and very interesting is you can isolate one molecule. So say in rose, if there are 200 molecules in rose, you know, just rough example, um, there are certain ones that are rosy ones. And those, there's one called geraniol, which is uh, smells more like geranium, a kind mm. of greener rose smell. There's one that's called damascenone that's a kind of plummy rose smell. There's one called phenylethyl acetate, which is kind of more of a straight-ahead light tea rose smell. There's one that's citronellol, which is a more of a citrusy rose smell. And there's one called linalool, which is also very prominent in, say, lavender. And that's a woodier rose smell. Mm. So all of those molecules are in pretty much every rose, but in different proportion. And then with these other little accents that take them off in other directions. 
That's so interesting. And it's also, um, it's amazing when you go to the museum that you can smell each of the five and then smell the combined. And you go like, oh, it, it almost is, um, you know, it's like tasting the individual components of a food and then taking one bite of all the things. It's like you, you almost can get more definition uh, out of each one by having, you know, experienced each component. And the um, rose that's in the museum, I buy that from the grower. He's, he's in Turkey. Mm-hmm. He raises those roses. I buy a lot from the growers all over the world. And his rose is really superb. And um, before I found his rose, I was using a rose from Morocco, which was a really beautiful rose, but lighter. Mm. The rose, that rose in Turkey is just, it's more voluptuous. It's more full-bodied. It's just a really exciting, fantastic rose. Mm. And uh, it, it just opens you up to the wonders of the world, smelling yeah. the different plant materials and how different they are. Here comes one. I'm gonna. Um, I have a series of little vials in front of me here, mm-hmm. just for people who are uh, listening out there. And I want to go to something that people don't necessarily think of as being part of um, the perfuming world. This is black pepper. Uh, I'm gonna take a sniff. Uh, I'll tell you what I think, and then you'll tell me what I should really think. Here we go. Um, oh man, what's so interesting is um, it's much fruitier. Than you would think. You got it. You know, I couldn't explain to my kids, like, what is pepper? They were asking, like, what's the taste of pepper, like, specifically? And I couldn't figure it out until I started to smell this black pepper. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's fruity, but it's also uh, got a sharpness to it, too. So black pepper, um, I did two cookbooks with a brilliant chef, Daniel Patterson, who uh, was in the Bay Area for a long time. And we... uh, used essential oils for cooking. And so the first, uh, and, and I have a little line of essential oils for cooking, and the first oil I brought him was that black pepper, which really blew his mind. Because um, black pepper, the plant, um, when, you, when you use it for cooking, the heat that it provides, you know, the spicy heat mm-hmm. that comes from black pepper bypasses some of the aroma molecules. So if you were going to use it just as the black pepper, that floral and fruity back note that's in there, you would completely miss. Mm. But in the oil, because the essential oil process bypasses the heat, so that it doesn't have the heaty, heatful spice note in it. Mm-hmm. You just get the full-bodied aroma. So it's quite different in a way than black pepper corns are. And it's just a revelation and it's an amazing smell. It lets you really participate with it. You know, how do you, like, I know you have worked in the food world as well. And, and as you describe some of these things, I'm sure people might be thinking like, oh, it's, it has some parallels to knowing wine, right? Like that there's ways, there's an entire language around describing, around doing that translation from our nose and what we're smelling into words that somebody else could understand. But the range of what you're trying to describe just feels so much wider. It, to me, I, I feel like, particularly if you create with it or use it in any way, the closest thing for me is cooking. Mm-hmm. I think cooking is a really interesting and creative process that all of us participate with. And we always smell things as we're cooking or we're drinking them. So um, with wine, sometimes there's some intimidation about, mm-hmm. you know, the language and things. But I think with cooking, the integrity of the ingredients, how good they are, how different, you know, say this honey crisp apple is from this pink lady apple mm-hmm. and how it smells. I feel like the world of smells is, to me, like more 
far-flung and widespread like the world of food. Mm -hmm. It it feels to me that way and that people can participate in it and are participating in it all all the time um, in a way that that suits them. Let's bring in uh, Laura in Lafayette. Welcome. Hi. um, I went to the museum over Thanksgiving week with all of my adult children who told me about this. They live in New York. Oh, my God. And they heard about you. And first, let me say, what a hidden gem. It's like a whole (laughs) shadow world. Um, But I'm a musician, and I loved how you compared the sense to musical chords Mm -hmm. with bottom, middle, top. And that really resonated, no pun intended, with me. Um, So... Fabulous. Well done. Everybody who's listening, run, do not walk. <laughs> Thank Laura, you. Wait. Go visit this oh place. My God. Uh, Laura, favorite scent. Do you have one? Yeah, I, uh, and I have my little sticks, you know. Melanie knows what I'm talking about. I um, do. It was something I never even heard of before. <laughs> Who knew that there were all these different yeah. scents that combined to create the scents that we are familiar with? It was just, it was illuminating in a billion different yeah. ways. Laura, so great. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> Thank you. You know, one of the um, things about building a perfume in the way that you're talking about it and the musicality that you describe it with, um, I've, I've been thinking about that since you, um, since you said it to me, you know, when I, when I came to the museum a couple months ago, and it's that you're actually physically recording in that bottle of oil a, a performance. Every time you open the bottle, the perfume performs again, right? That's yes. such, an, such yes. an amazing thing. Yes, yes. It's a, it's such an interesting world to work with these things and to have them. And again, if you cook, you're doing that. To ha- When you open the bottle and like, there it is, they've all mixed up with each other. You know, it's about uh, the way you're... you're uh, it evolves over time, and it evolves with your skin, so it, you're participating with it. Oh, I love it. Um, uh, you're, yeah, you're playing with it. In fact, Posey in San Francisco would uh, like to ask a question about this. Okay. Hi. First of all, I have to say your museum is absolutely incredible. I, I've i told so many people about it. I, I just bet the most... It's such a, a hackneyed, overused term, but it really was a magical time there. Thank you. Um, Thank and then you. I, <laughs> I have a couple of uh, two more quick questions and then a, a comment and then a question. I wondered if you had ever read, although it's a, certainly a different thing, it, made, it brought to mind the book um, Perfume by Assuskind, the German writer. I wonder if you had. I have read it, and I love, I love, you know, the, the macabre violent part of it yes. is, is hard for me, but I love the description back in time of the essences because it's all natural and it's all those materials yes. that are in all those cultures that are so, you know, yes. deeply embedded with us as humans and that he really loved them and really spoke of them and their essences. Yes. And I love that. Yes. It, it was, I was lucky enough to find a copy mm-hmm. a few years ago in a bookstore signed by him that I gave to my mom because mm. scents are so much and it was amazing. But yes, the way scents are so evocative, I, you know, whether it's food cooking growing up, I still remember walking up the street and smelling my pop spaghetti coming down. The <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, of course. Um, so my question about actual perfume is um, on 
um, first of all, it's interesting how different people can wear a different scent, whether it's an all-natural scent or whether it's a, a scent from a mat, and it changes with your own body, mm-hmm. you know, body scents. But my question for you is, um, sometimes we've noticed, uh, my family, my sister and my mom and I, that maybe a scent that you've loved for years, and now I'm talking about a, um, I guess it would be but like Golan, you know, like a big yes. parfumerie. That was always really wonderful. And then you don't get it for a, a few years. Um, and then you get it again, and it, it seems to have changed. It's different. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was told by a gentleman who I met, a French gentleman, that um, sometimes what happens is this makes sense. Maybe either the company is sold or for different mm-hmm. reasons. It's not made in the pure way it was once made, even by big manufacturers. Uh. Like Golan, um, is that true? Posey, great I question. Express how amazing your place is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Posey. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are restrictions uh, now on the natural essences that you can use and regulations, which we will we'll leave to the side and my opinions of them. But there's a lot of restrictions on using naturals for the large corporate businesses and and smaller mm. ones, and also the naturals are very expensive. Mm. And the synthetics are infinitely cheaper. So a lot of things have been reformulated, and your nose is not fooling you when it picks up the, that it's changed. <laughs> um, we asked people to write in with some of their favorite uh, uh, scents, you know, things that reminded them of a particular time. So I just want to go through uh, a couple of them here. Mm. Rachel writes, my all-time favorite scent is Lily of the Valley. Smells like spring, lush green meadow, reminds me of England, where my family's from. It's also my mother's favorite. makes me think of her. Chert over on the Discord says, the first time I smelled vetiver, uh, did I say that right? I hope so. Yes. Essential oil, my brain exploded. Now I always own a bottle of Guerlain vetiver perfume. Um, Judith writes, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, 1950s. We would visit my uncle, who was a Watkin salesman. He had a cedar cabinet containing all the herbs and spices sold by Watkins, both savory and sweet. The biggest scent was the so-called pumpkin pie spices, but mingled with savories like thyme, oregano, and caraway. Opening the door on that cabinet was a revelation for my senses and is one of my strongest childhood memories. Love it. Um, one, two, la- two other ones, only because they get us into one of the uh, oils we have uh, in front of us here. Jennifer on the Discord writes, I love the smell of freshly wet concrete after the first drops of rain. It always puts a wash of relaxation down my back, releasing tension. It reminds me of my grandmother's yard and being in her presence, which was a place of serenity and safety. She had a small front yard that she kept immaculate and grew strawberries along the house by the front door. She'd water the grass and have us kids pick the strawberries. The dusty, minerally scent of the freshly wet concrete was the smell of those peaceful moments. Wow. Ah, I love wow. that, Jennifer. So good. Um, really? And we happen to have, I don't know if this is going to be your grandmother's specific thing, but I have a bottle in front of me called Miti Attar. Can you, can you just like tell me about this, Mandy? So Miti Attar is, you know, just another complete wonder in so many wonders. Miti Attar is uh, Indian sandalwood, Mysore sandalwood, that's co-distilled with a very special but common dirt in a place called Kanaj, India. And the two of them together make the smell of what's called, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right, petrichor, which is a smell of rain on dry earth. So mm-hmm. it's a smell of rain. 
And so this light, this dusty, earthy, light earthy smell with the sandalwood smell, which is kind of a light but kind of sweet and rich wood, but a kind of flat smell. It's more like a, it's not an aggressive smell like in that pumpkin spice thing she described, but kind of low and warm and spread out with that earth smell does smell like the smell of rain. Oh, it's so, I'm smelling it right now. And honestly, it's it's almost like I'm going to get distracted from the time clock. <laughs> so, it's transporting. You it know? does get you high. Yeah. I, I, do, I do think uh, when people come to the museum and they have this wonderful time, some of it is because they're high when they're there because the materials and the things and the beauty and the smelling stuff, it just makes you happy. Yeah. Even people love knowing the word. Another listener over on our digital community says, you know, petrochor, petrochor. I don't know how you yes. say it either. Meaning the smell of rain on dry rocks, which I love. Um, let's get to one uh, gross smell. Um, I have this here. I'm going to smell it. Um, and uh, it is um, civet. And hold on a second. Here I go. Oh, God, it really is gross, man. <laughs> it is. I mean, you can't, it's, but it's the kind of gross where you almost want to keep smelling it to yes. be like, what is the specific nature of this grossness? Well, civets, um, civets are animals. It's, an, it's a historic animalic scent, and um, it's a small animal that is not killed, but in past times has a lot of ethical issues about collecting mm-hmm. the materials. Um, and the animal was not treated well at all uh, in the past to collect the material. It's by and large not not used, but I do have all the historical materials there. It's something called a fecal floral. Hope you don't have a heart attack from that. <laughs> and a fecal floral is also what jasmine is, which is it's part floral. If that's very diluted, you'll see it's very floral. You have it quite strong. And it's poopy. Yeah, and it is. So, and so that poopy part comes from a molecule that's called indole, which is in jasmine, uh, it's in tuberose, it's in civet, but it's also in poop. And it's that putrid piece with the very floral-ish piece, the two aspects of it, that make up the whole of, of what that smell is. And so it's it's very funky. And, you know, I put in my book... Uh, from over 100 years ago, no five-star reviews of Civet, where they call it, you know, disgusting and revolting. And, I mean, it's right in the, It's pretty funny, the reviews about it. I must say there's a little little page of them in there, what people had to say in the 1800s about yes. it. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would concur. We're talking with artisan perfumer Mandy Aftel, created a small museum in Berkeley called the Aftel Archive of Curious Sense. Stay with us. We'll be back with more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking and smelling with artisan perfumer Mandy Aftel. She created a small museum in Berkeley called the Aftel Archive of Curious Scents. You can visit. Uh, If you can't get there, she also has written a book called The Museum of Scent, uh, which is uh, documents a lot of stuff in the museum. We'd love to hear from you. We've been uh, reading some of your memories, uh, the scents that bring you back to a particular place or time, make you feel a certain way. We've also been writing in, describing uh, some of your favorite scents. The email address is forum at kqed.org. Of course, you can call us and tell us all about it too. The number is 866 Eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. Um, let's go to. Uh, is it Lucia in uh, Orinda? Welcome. Oh uh, hi. Hi, welcome to the show. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go hi. ahead. Hi. Um, you talk about. You mentioned wine and the way people describe it by association and. Uh, uh, so my question is, when they say it has a peachy flavor, for example, does it mean that peach and that wine really share a chemical compound that identifies them? Or is, is it totally subjective? Mm. Oh, that's I th- interesting. I, th- I think that, yeah, I think that anything like, say, a peach or wine, all of that can be put through a process where they know the aroma molecules in it. So they know the aroma aroma molecules that make up peach, and there may be some crossover with with what's in peach and what's in the wine, or it could just be a kind of I, mean, I don't know the what what you're speaking of exactly, or it could just be a feeling you know that's agreed upon that mm. this this is reminiscent of a peach and that that's an, an agreeable way to be able to describe it. People often describe things smells by other smells. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Um, there are, there is an underlying objective basis, right? What seems complicated is when you take something that might have uh, dozens of aromatics, particularly these natural um, essential oils, and then you start combining them. It's almost like the combinatorics escape what you could quantify or something, right? It's almost like... Oh, my God, yes. When you put... You know, I I teach people to make perfume, you know, and I write about it in my some of my other, other books. And when you're working with naturals, there are so many molecules in each essence alone, you know, and, and, you know, if you have... This version of rose, it's one set of molecules, and this version, there's overlap, but other ones are different kinds of frankincense. Mm-hmm. So um, how how those things combine and make a new smell, um, it's a very complex palette to be mm-hmm. working with. You know, I always think of it a little bit like paints, but it's a very complex palette, and you, when you work with them, you sometimes get some surprises as facets of one essence hook up with facets of another. Like there could be, say, I, I have an essence called seps, which is porcini mushrooms. Mm. And if you really smell it, it's very earthy. It's very dark. It's kind of a wild mushroom smell. But in it is a chocolatey smell. 
And so if I put it near something else that was a little bit chocolatey, I would have chocolate in my perfume that I never put in. <laughs> um, let's, uh, you, you mentioned it a couple times, the way that these things are sourced. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of the big perfumers are just you know, synthesizing. You know, they've got, they know the molecules that are in some things. They, they, they put them together. I mean, how do you see the relationship between these natural scents, you know, gathered from all the cultures and corners of the earth, in relation to, you know, colonialism's past or globalization present? Like, how do you see your responsibility to the people, you know, who came to use and understand these materials? Oh, I think colonialism and and all of that about these materials is positively frightening. Um, I mean, I think people did go all around the world uh, long ago and found these things and exploited the places that had them um, and used them. I think that, that, you know, they brought the materials back. They put them in things like cabinets of curiosity. Things like this were lucrative. The people that had them were uh, exploited. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no question uh, that, that that history is uh, there um, because all of these cultures were involved with these scented materials um, and, and had very rich histories with them. And so this, this took place a long time ago. I think, I think things are now... Uh, much more going in the right direction than they ever were before. Mm -hmm. I think for better and for worse, uh, naturals are much more expensive. And so people Mm -hmm. have more of a reverence for them anyways, and people are more careful with them. And also the big industries are not as interested in using them. So it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of come, it's come to uh, have the the really, really high quality naturals are more, uh, employed in small ways mm. and not so much in big ways at all. Yeah. Um, one listener has a very practical question here, Mandy, which I do want to get to. Uh, mm-hmm. A listener writes in to say, I'm new to perfume. Mm-hmm. I have one bottle that I've purchased that I really like, but I have to confess, I don't really know how best to wear it. What's the Mandy Eftel approach to applying perfume tastefully? I, I also have this question um, with Embers and Musk, which is my favorite. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I think I have a very quirky response to that, um, which is I always say put it on the back of your hands um, <laughs> because I'm a person who talks with my hands and actually my hands go by my nose. So I, I feel that one of the reasons you should wear perfume is for you mm-hmm. is because of what it does for you and how you feel about you and your experience. It should make you happy. Mm. And so if you have it on your neck, it's not so likely you're going to smell it. But if you have it on your hand or on the back of your hand or you touch someone with it, it'll be there. So I'm a real fan of uh, putting it on putting it on the back of your hand. You know, Mandy, the the moment I knew I had been Mandy pilled into the world of scent was when I was sitting in my house at, at night and I had the little tiny, uh, the little tiny tester one of embers and musk, and um, and I kept wanting to put it on just myself. Like I'm at my house by myself. It's nighttime. There's nobody else around. You know, my kids don't care how I smell. Um, and I would put it on just just to smell it, just to have the molecules floating around. And I thought. Wow, something has really changed. I've never wanted to do that before. You know? Oh, I'm so moved. Yeah. I'm so that was such a special one. The uh, the musk in it is an aroma molecule called ambretolide, which is the dominant molecule in uh, a, a plant called ambret ambret seed. And ambret seeds are 
from the hibiscus plant, and the seeds have this very musky smell, and this is the chief molecule that's in there. And there's another molecule that's in there that's called guayacol that's in whiskey. Mm. And so it's a smoky, it's a very smoky smell. Um, and there's uh, there's apple in it. There's some pink pepper, which does not smell like black pepper. And then this very, very smoky smell is pine tar, uh. which, is, <laughs> comes, which is really, really beautiful. It's kind of uh, fruity and floral, but sexy, smoky, dirty pine tar. So there's a lot of kind of mixed, clean and dirty uh, aromas in that embers and musk. So I'm honored that it speaks to you. Gosh. Um, uh, Gail writes in to say, I love the smell of roses, but my favorite scent is, quote, Egyptian musk, which is hard to find. This is odd because in general, I don't love musk. Is there science concerning why an individual person happens to love particular scents other than memories. And I would even extend science to whatever other realm. Like, is you, because I feel like you have an almost um, uh, psychotherapeutic approach to these things. I think I probably do. Well, I always think of them as people. Like, I think of the materials as people um, and having personalities like people. Um, I remember very early in my career, because I've been at this for almost 30 years, it was a very mind-blowing experience. I was making a custom perfume for a woman, um, and she came to visit me um, to get to, you know, to work to do the perfume, and she was very corporate-looking, just incredibly corporate-looking, and she had a corporate job, and I immediately judged her as being really corporate, and she would probably like the really clean smells. I just had a whole little thing running in my head. But the way I do my custom perfumes is people smell things. And she picked the raunchiest, the dirtiest, <laughs> the sexiest, the most unbuttoned, out-of-control smells, and everything just flew out the window. So those peop the people in those by the perfumes, personalities, the essences, when you can greet them one by one as personalities, you find your way to what speaks to you. And I feel like that's really a th pretty thrilling process. Mm -hmm. When they're all put together, that's very special. But when you meet them and encounter them on your own, like the man mm -hmm. that wrote and said he loved vetiver, mm -hmm. that's a just a, a some kind of deep connection in your soul to that essence, which I couldn't even begin to understand how mm. science could explain it. Yeah. You know, because on the narrative alone, there's another one here called Oud Laban, which um, I knew from, from yes. um, talking to you was a scent that you created for Leonard Cohen. So, of course, I wanted to like that one. Like on, narrative, on a narrative level, I was like, ooh, I want to wear Leonard Cohen's one. But then when I tried the other one, it just, it was the one that spoke to me. And I think the experience of it uh, overrode the, the narrative of it, which is, um, which is kind of the point of the museum. Um, let's bring in uh, David in Berkeley, who has also been. David, welcome. Hi. Actually, uh, I have never been inside. I've walked uh, by your place hundreds of times. I live in Berkeley. I've been, I've been here for over 20 years. Um, I, didn't just, I didn't know that your house was a museum until my daughter and her friend went to visit and they just gushed over it. My, my daughter, uh, she's, she's sort of like Victorian goth punk, uh, bright pink <laughs> hair, and she, she, felt like, she felt like she belonged in your house, and she said she, she totally connected with you. And she also uh, was blown away by the books because she's a budding librarian, and she just 
the combination of the decor oh. and the smells and the books oh. totally blew her away. And she and she said you invited her back and you were eating your meal as they were leaving. And she just felt like she was uh, immediately a, a, a friend. Oh. Um, oh. And and I also. <laughs> And so, of course, I really want to go now. But um, I also wanted to just, um, uh, on a personal note, my experience with um, uh, citrus flowers. Mm. Uh, oh. I, I, you know, I, I grew up on the East Coast. I had never actually smelled a lemon flower or an orange flower, orange blossom. And when right. I came out here, I smelled it and it like somebody else said it, the same word, but it, it, it describes it perfectly. My brain exploded, and I felt like I have to have this. And I planted uh, a couple lemon trees and an orange tree. Yeah, it's nice to get the lemons and the oranges, but really I planted them for the blossoms. The <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I'm from... I, I, it, I'm from Detroit, and I had the Thanks exact so much, same experience as you when I saw, like, a lemon tree, and then I, I picked the flowers. I'm a real petal crusher. I picked the flowers and rubbed them into my palm so I could smell the flowers. They have waxy, floral, citrus goodness. I love it. I love it so much. And I, um, yeah, it's so fun. Um, let's take another call. Raza in San Carlos. Welcome. Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, sure can. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly ask, what is the so strict difference between men and women perfumes or smells or colognes or whatever? Uh, why are they so different uh, that men cannot wear women and vice versa? Such a good question. Um, I have a funny, funny anecdote for that answer. And then it will answer it. You know, I taught... A long time ago um, at Apple for Johnny Ive, who was the <laughs> designer Fun. there, I taught yeah. a class uh, twice, but I taught one where they made perfume, and the whole class was men, and I took a, a set of oils for them to make perfume with, and there were a lot of florals in, in the group as well as, you know, woods and citruses and, and spices and so on. I cannot tell you how much florals the men used. To making their perfumes. So I personally have thought for, and I did that class a long time ago um, and have seen it anecdotally all the time. I do think the gender stuff about scent is so wrong. Mm. It's just marketing. Mm. It's just a way. I think people are drawn, particularly at an ingredients level, but even past there, to so many different aromas and that florals aren't just for women and woods aren't just for men. I think people are drawn by some, you know, magic star in the heavens in their being to what they're drawn toward. And I wouldn't pay one bit of attention to any of that at all. <laughs> As for the difference, I think you were asking, too, between a perfume and, say, an eau de toilette or a cologne, frequently the difference between it is how much of the essence is in it. With a perfume having the highest percent of essence and the lowest percent of dilutant, something that it's in, mm. and then, say, a, a cologne or a splash, having a lot more of the dilutant and less of the essence. That's the difference. So interesting. Um, we have some great other um, memories and favorite scents. <clears throat> One listener writes, I adore the smell of orange blossom. It transports me. This is good. 
to a summer in Tunisia in my first love's back garden. The garden had orange trees, rose bushes, and bougainvillea. Orange blossoms, sweet and delicate, beautiful like a lazy summer day of youth, always transports me to a happy, relaxed place of gentle, soothing feelings and timeless sensuality. Beautiful. Boy, that is a good so recommendation beautiful. for Orange Blossom. <laughs> so beautiful. Um, a couple of uh, food ones have come in as well. Listener writes in, you know, this for me, the scent that transports me to a specific time is the smell of steamed buns, <laughs> which reminds me of the first time I visited Hong Kong when the morning I came up from the subway to the street level early on a cool, wet winter morning. Judd, also, I have a love-hate memory from 1950s of the smell of chitterlings, that's pig intestines, being cleaned by my father and his friends. <laughs> Loud laughter, drinking old crow, getting ready for a great meal, and there was the connection to those old days. I never ate a chitterling till I was an adult. As a kid, it was just too much, but the memory is deeply nostalgic. And Lori writes, fur and earth uh, on a warm day. I grew up in Oregon and didn't realize how much this scent had become Come woven into the tapestry of my soul until I returned home after years of being away from it. Reencountering it brought me to sobs of joy. Oh, beautiful, beautiful writing from all these I people. Know. They do. So they, 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 they Wow. Um, do you have a scent that you wear, Mandy? Do you, or do you rotate, or do you? What do you do? I usually I'm boring. I think in that way. I usually wear the last perfume that I've made because I'm so intimately mm. involved with it. And so the, I, right now I'm wearing a perfume of mine that um, I do grow over 100 roses and we have been talking about roses. But the one I love the smell of the most is a, a perfume of a, a rose called Jude the Obscure. And it's an extremely peachy, apricotty rose with a kind of muskiness under it. And so I, I tried to copy the rose. I took it in the house and worked and worked and worked on it. It was really fun. And um, I felt I got somewhere with it. And I, of course, since I'm a child of the 60s, called the perfume Hey Jude. So <laughs> it's it's full of very happy stuff for me. Um, so you can visit uh, Saturdays from 10 to 6. Um, you can also you know, make a private thing. But it's open, generally speaking, 10 to 6. Make an appointment. There's tickets you can get on the, on the Internet. We have been talking with artisan perfumer Mandy Aftel about her museum, the Aftel Archive of Curious Scents. Also, she's got a book. If you can't make it, it's called The Museum of Scent. Thank you so much for joining us, Mandy. Thank you. This has been just incredible thank you so much and thank you all the people that called and said such nice things thank you deeply <laughs> so delightful I love when you get a creative writing prompt out there and you crush it like you did again this morning I'm Alexis Madrigal stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim stop and take the time to fill your Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.